welcome to Wild Research Bites and another episode. My name is Emily Fredriksson and I'm a PhD student at Wildlife, Fish and Environmental Studies here at the Swedish University of Agricultural Science. Um, today we're going to talk about scientific communication and citizen science. And with me I have some guests from the department. So we have Susanna Bergström, communication officer and previously journalist and editor. Welcome. Thank you. And we also have Tim Hofmeister, researcher, animal ecologist, and you're from the Netherlands, where you also did your PhD. Yes. So welcome, Thank both you. of you. So I thought we should start with scientific communication. What is scientific communication? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. How do we define it? I found the, the like a, a definition on the internet that says ex- the extent or length of reaching out. And I thought... Yeah, <laughs> maybe. But then I searched for scientific communication um, or outreach, and I found um, uh, Wikipedia says, yeah. everybody always loves quoting Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> so it says, an umbrella term for a variety of activities by research institutes, universities, and institutions, promoting public awareness of science and making inform- informal contributions to science education. Wow. <laughs> I think that sums it up, actually. I mean, <laughs> I, would too ju- bad. I would just say it's communication by scientists to a uh, general public. Yeah. Yeah, and I would, I mean, I think often when you think about, or when people hear talks about scientific communication, it's like, hmm, I don't know. I feel sometimes that we think about it uh, from the wrong perspective. Like, it's we wanting to reach out uh, instead of just thinking about like in what way can my research affect society and who is affected by it hmm. the and word in itself kind of implies that the outreach word anyway yeah and i mean if you if you know who is affected by it and why it's important then you kind of you know you don't have to think too hard about why should I communicate or how should I do it? Because if you know that this is really important to a lot of people and of course they need to, I know, be able to, to know about it from a democratic perspective. And yeah. My, my, my mind just went to this. It's like when we do science as well, if we know from the beginning why we do it or what question we want to answer, it's really easy quotation marks yeah. to do it and then trying to make it up after. It's like, I need to write a news article about my research now. What should I do? Exactly. <laughs> and I think this is like the key thing that the quotation marks, like <laughs> it is really basic and it is really easy, but it is also really hard. I mean, in communications or I mean, in making like news from science or it's basically answering the questions like, why? Why is this important for like regular people? And what are you doing and how are you doing it? So if you can answer these three questions, then you, you're all set. Mm. But it can be really hard to answer simple questions. Definitely. And then scientists are not that good at making things simple. We try to make things overcomplicated. Yeah. So <laughs> then actually boiling it down to the bare essentials and then, then sending that message to to do an audience is, is, is quite hard. Yeah, exactly. And that is the, I don't know, like how should you deal with that? I mean, you have to simplify because people have a right to know what's going on. But I also understand that, I mean, some research that is really complex, but you still have to like tell people about it, right? Mm. Or? Yeah, and it's, I guess, also what, in what stage the research is, or um, I mean, the the topic that you're researching. Some fields are very well studied and some are very new. And maybe uh, it also, if it's not a lot of studies done on one topic, it can be very, very hard to make general statements to the public. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm. And I think, I mean, what I find in, what is interesting is that you say from a democratic perspective, we we are obliged to send the message to the to to general uh, public which i think is you're fully right with that but that's something that a lot of scientists have not really thought like that for a long time and it's only relatively recent i think that people are are see, ah, 
that there's this discussion between um, ah, the 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 general public and 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 science as a kind of construct that science should be more open and should be communicating back more of of all the yeah the tax money that's going into all this research and what are people getting back from it yeah um, yeah so then at least for me we that is exactly why I think that. Uh, communi- or scientific communication is so important. Um, yeah, yeah, because we get exactly. taxpayers' money. Yeah, exactly. We're working for for the people and mm-hmm. for to contribute to develop society and and. But I think also that some researchers are like afraid of journalists. They think that okay, no, this journalist may ask like some not really good question maybe or it will be too simplified or I don't know and sometimes that happens of course but I think also that you have like a responsibility I mean if a journalist calls you to ask you something uh, and you feel that okay this is not irrelevant then you should say that like in a nice way like oh well uh, that question may be hard to answer like that but I mean can I rephrase it like this or I I looked at this and this may be important to know blah 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 blah, mm. and you can kind of control the situation. I mean, journalists are only people with too little time to do research, often. I mean, hopefully with good intentions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of them have really good intentions, and they really most of them work for um, for society and for people to know what's happening and why and how am I affected by this. So. And and sometimes you are not really there to talk about your research. You're only there as an expert to like, uh, you know, when something is going on. Like uh, right now, for example, we have some aggressive news here in Sweden. So one I completely missed this. What? Huh? <laughs> How we have aggressive <laughs> news in Sweden? Yeah, we have. Where? <laughs> in the Lerum. Uh-huh. And it's... Um, what are they doing? <laughs> Yeah, they killed two um, dogs, oh. and one one man got hurt also. Oh, uh, and I think three or four people from this department has already been in media to as moose experts. And I mean, when they do that, they are not like, oh, in our research we have seen that blah 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 blah. But they simply ask, uh, they they answer like the people's questions, mm. like, okay, should I be afraid of moose, and what what do I do if an aggressive moose uh, come towards me. And of course, that can seem like really, I don't know, not really, I don't know, something that you get much credit for, perhaps, yeah. in in research community. I don't know. Um, I'm not in that. But, but I mean, it is an important thing. Yeah. Yeah. And we need experts to ask questions. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, I think that then my job... Is to you know, of course, share all our expertise. Of course, we have we have a lot of expertise there. But also, you know, if we get people to like, they want our expertise, and then maybe we can get people interested in what we do. Like, okay, so how do they know know that? How do they know how we should be reacting or what is happening? And then we can show like this is the way we do our research. Mm-hmm. How do we know that? Why why is there so many car accidents in autumn, for example, with moose? I don't think that a lot of people knows that we know this for a fact because we put GPS collars on the mooses and how do we do that? We go by helicopter. And mm. <laughs> I mean, it's so much interesting stuff that people have no idea about no, exactly. how the research is being done. So I think if people get to know about that, then everyone would <laughs> want to be... I don't know, be a researcher or study here or work here or just know about what we're doing. Mm. I just had this this um, thought in my head, like why <coughs> why researchers maybe think it's hard or scary to to do these things, and yeah. I don't know if it's a combination of of um, the, the people being s- Swedish. Not all researchers are Swedish, of course, yeah. but um, the like Swedish notion of not um, bragging or not really. Uh, being very humble and then also maybe a lot being kind of introverted. I don't know if the very generalizing, not being the most (laughs) extroverted group of people ever, um, making it really scary to be in like radio or TV or it's like I'm not an expert 
people say that and they have uh, been researching for I don't yeah. know how many years um, and for everybody else they're an expert but they know that there's so much more to know and it's hard to feel like you're an expert maybe but that's just media terminology I mean yeah of course yeah. but, but I, I get what you're saying <laughs> mm. it also has to do I think with experience because most people don't really it's it's hard to get media experience and then I can imagine that the first time when you talk to a journalist and you don't know exactly what you're doing, that that it feels uncomfortable and that maybe you say things which you, af- be, uh, after the fact, don't think, well, wish that you hadn't said. And then, yeah, that I, I can imagine that that then doesn't help with saying yes to a, uh, to a journalist next time. Um, but communicating to, to journalists is just like giving scientific presentations or teaching or writing papers. It's just skills that you I mean one of the many skills that we need um, and therefore need to train um, and I think that most people don't train nah, don't either don't get the opportunities to train it or don't want to train it or train it less um, and then I, I think that also ha- ha- is part of why a lot of people find it hard to talk to the media yeah if you don't if you don't get experience you don't feel comfortable either yeah maybe we should just have some media training here at our department i think that would be really good yeah i'm trying my best with this podcast yeah Yeah. that's (laughs) really super and i also talked to one of our colleagues for a week or so and he he a journalist had called him like late late on the day and like hi i want to know this right now Uh, and he was like oh though i always have to answer like right away i i need some time to think you know and I just told him, no, you don't. Just tell the journalist, oh, I would love to participate, but right now I'm in a meeting. Can I call you back in 15 minutes tops? And then you get your 15 minutes, you can think about your message, and then you can call back and make a really good interview instead of like, uh, well, uh, yeah, maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. Because the journalist will be so thrilled that he or she has found like someone to participate an expert <laughs> yeah yeah an expert so it will take the, the journalist way much longer to find a new expert than to wait 15 minutes for someone who so you don't have to answer right away mm. just ask to call back and think about what you want to say and and listen to the questions and i mean be humble exactly as you say like it's just a normal person mm. it's kind of um we talk, discussed this before uh, a bit, um, not not now, but at FICA <laughs> or something, <laughs> that um, like maybe from your background as a journalist and our scientific workflows are very different, yeah, especially yeah, yeah. in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, you think it goes very slow <laughs> yeah. here and you're used to this like news now out exactly. today. Kind yeah, of thing. it's really different time time zones, being a journalist and <laughs> working here in, at this university. Yeah, that leads us very nicely to your job here. Because yeah. you worked here for about a year now, yeah. right? Uh, so before we didn't have a communications officer here. Um, so it was prioritized by the department, which I think is great. Um, and you got very free, like, um, yeah, I don't know what you say in English. Um, we say free tiglar in Swedish. <laughs> you exactly. Can make this free range. Free, yeah, yeah. Free, exactly. Free range ah. to I don't do know what if that would work in English as a saying, but uh, uh, that would be the translation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you could do with this what you felt was was the best. So. Yeah, exactly. I've been told. I mean, afterwards, I didn't know that when I got the job, but uh, that um, yeah, that was the plan. Like, okay, sh- she seems to be like really creative and uh, initiatives and you know let's see what she does she is the expert and not we and um yeah so i've just been developing my own job with and that is really super super fantastic fun (laughs) it's the best job i ever had cool yeah so i think basically what i'm doing is that my my little office is actually like a whole communications department at a, communi- pa- <laughs> at a communications department, you often have some people doing films and some people, you maybe have a photographer and you might have someone writing press releases, but I do all of that. So I make films and I take pictures of you guys. I do interviews and I write news and press releases and I run our social media accounts. And yeah, I'm sure I do some more stuff. 
also, which I don't can't think about right now. I was thinking about the, like the scientific outreach parts of applications when we apply for money. Yeah, you help with that, right? Yeah, that's true. And one of them got money. Oh, yay! Yay! <laughs> I don't know if uh, I will not take credit for that. Mm. Of course, it's her credit, but <laughs> it's fun to be a part of it anyway. Yeah, mm. nice. So, yeah. Uh, what can a like normal day, or I guess no days are normal here. No, Maybe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and this is not like a normal <laughs> place to work. <laughs> and that's the fun part of it. I mean, you can walk by someone's office and all of a sudden they have a big aquarium there where they are <laughs> taking pictures of fish. <laughs> <laughs> so like the other day, I photographed Jörgen Wiklund, who is also a phot- photographer, but he's also yeah, working here with... Field assistant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he was taking pictures of uh, fish. Because he's transported a big aquarium to his <laughs> to his office there. So I did that the other day because um, me and Jürgen, we are doing like a, f- a fish calendar, like a Christmas calendar on a social media. Um, because he has been photographing a lot of Swedish fish. So that's just like a normal day, one day. And um, yesterday I photographed Heliana, who is, um, she's in charge of our molecular ecology lab. Yeah, molecular think. ecology lab. Yeah. yeah. So she told me about her work, you know, uh, and I will make a film. I do this film with you guys called Who is Who at the Department. Yeah. So you get to explain what you're doing here in like six really short sentences. So it's a really like just a glimpse of 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 some parts that you're doing, of course. But to make fe- people feel like included and to to speak in, you know, to explain in a way that people understand, basically. So, yeah, I think my job is often to uh, ask stupid quotation mark <laughs> questions, like, "What are you doing? How are you doing it? Why is that important?" It's such a valuable insight to have somebody uh, outside of the field to ask those not at all stupid questions but like uh, questions that not scientist people would ask because it is very easy to get like uh, bogged down your own research hole (laughs) and use strange words and uh, complicated language and yeah yeah and a lot of times people has to explain to me many times before I get something that I can use, like, yeah. and that's not because I mean that person is that doesn't want to or, but just as you say that you're not trained to do it and, uh, and we have too little experience yeah. maybe doing it too because mm. yeah but I, and I also think it helps a lot when you think about your own research to to boil it down to the most essential and the would use as easy language as possible yeah. Yeah, but it, ah, somewhere it's hard because we are trained to to um, to uh, to use difficult language yeah. because that describes in the most uh, complete way what we're doing exactly. or which models we're using or mm. um, and then going back from there where you uh, you you talk and and write in a way that other scientists understand yeah um, and then trying to put that language back into let's say normal day speech. That is really hard because then you have to start using terms which might not mm. be a hundred percent correct, mm. but are the best way of describing it in a way that other people will understand. Mm. Um, and we're trained that we should be a hundred percent correct and mm. should not write things that are not correct, which exactly. I think is good in terms of being a scientist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes you can use terms that are broader, which are not necessarily incorrect. They're not complete. Uh, but they're not incorrect. And then those are the terms that we can use to communicate to a wider audience, mm. I think. But yeah. it is hard to find those words. It's really hard. And I think also, as you said earlier, Emily, it's much harder if you're new in the field. Because as you say, Tim, it, you're trained to do it in a certain way. And if you're new, of course, you want to do it right. And it might be hard to like, I don't know, Maybe you get some more senior researcher looking down on you if you simplify the the field. I don't know because, but I I really understand that it can be very, very hard to, to simplify. Mm. Yeah, so if you want to be correct, yeah, uh, yeah. but of course, understood, and it's a 
tricky balance. It's a really tricky balance, but I think the the good thing when we were when we are writing the news here, we can control that. I mean, we can simplify as much as we want to. And if you can't say it in that way, then we will change it. But you know, we can do it together. It's kind of mm. valuable having you here then. So you have that experience, the like, journalist media experience, and you're also here with us so we can easily, uh, I mean, it doesn't become as uh, scary maybe than if you have a journalist coming from yeah. outside. Uh, yeah, because you don't know what they're, what they're going to publish. No. But you can always read my text or see my film or whatever. Yeah, And we yeah. we know you too, so it's yeah. also easier. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I work for... For uh, what do you say? I mean, it th- that depends on the target group, of course. I mean, if you want to uh, communicate with the public, then I work for them. So then, that is my mission. Like, what kind of questions? Wh- what do they want to know, and in what way? And then, I will try to, you know, lead us in that direction. Yeah. But I mean, if you want to communicate to other scientists, then you have to write in a completely different way, of course. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it is tough. So I just had a thought, and maybe I'm skipping ahead of things, but um, one of the ways, of course, of, of making complex language easier is rather than using the complex term is describing the term. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking a lot of the scientific communication that I do now is in Swedish, which yeah. is not my native language. It's not the language... I mean, I started learning Swedish two years ago, so I, I lack a lot of difficult words in my vocabulary so i have to describe everything because i don't know the terms so that actually made it slightly easier for me because i yeah i don't have the vocabulary to actually use the complicated terms so i have to talk to yeah to say it in an easy way yeah that's good um <laughs> yeah so that is a uh, yeah i just had that thought that like oh but actually i'm all the time thinking oh but doing it in swedish is hard but maybe it is i mean it's hard but at the same time also relative is slightly easier on another level. Yeah. So you should always do it in another language. <laughs> maybe that's the, maybe <laughs> that's the that's message. The, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You should do it in French and, and in my third language that I don't have. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, but super. And you're doing really good in the, in oh, the thank Swedish. You. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but I can, yeah, I can imagine that that it might actually be a way of thinking is that yeah. if I, if I wouldn't understand this language really well, how can I describe this term or how can I describe exactly. this? Yeah, and this that is also mechanism. how I how I write uh, like news. I mean, sometimes you can easily like take away a difficult word and replace it with what it actually means. And mm-hmm. sometimes if you or someone else really wants the word there, then I just put a comma and a short description. Mm-hmm. Like what is an ecosystem service? Can you describe that in three words? And then, the, you know, so it's really fluent and no one has to stop and think like, okay, mm. I don't understand. So, yeah. And especially that second way is actually a good way because then you're at the same time introducing new words to, uh, yeah, to, to yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, especially the, those kind of words who are uh, like in the debate already, but maybe all, all of the people doesn't know what they mean. I don't know. Yeah. No, but the language thing is super interesting. And I mean, since most uh, science is done uh, in English, and I mean, we are in a country where English is not the the native language. Do you say native for <laughs> la- <don't> country? Know. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> um, but of course, you have to handle Swedish as well if you do uh, outreach somehow. So I mean, we have social media accounts, for example, in both English and Swedish, and we try to, or you try to, aim at different audiences using language as a, like, tool as well. Yeah, because I think if we start mixing up English on our Swedish account, for example, then the Swedish audience will not be interested, so... Yeah, yeah. I also find it usually hard to communicate in Swedish with what I do, because everything I read and write ah. is in English. Yeah. So even though Swedish is my native language, I also lack a lot of words, uh, which is, like you say, maybe not a bad thing, uh, <laughs> but it is it is harder. I was in a, like a web seminar uh, with one of my supervisors in Swedish and had to explain one of my projects, and it was... I just stum- stumbled and used <laughs> the English word so many times... <laughs> 
Because <laughs> I, I've, I've never used the Swedish word. Yeah. I never read it before. <laughs> yeah. 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 But that's also a really interesting development, I think, both in Sweden and the Netherlands and many other countries, I guess, where we used to have the education, well, let's say biology education, all in the native language. And that's now switching more and more to at least a master in English. And in many universities, they're now starting to have bachelor programs in English as well. So the only term, when the only time when you learn these terms, uh, it's already in English. So there's no textbooks in in Dutch or Swedish anymore. Um, so we're also not used to using those terms anymore. Yeah. And uh, I guess a lot of, especially new theories and and or new terms, they don't necessarily have a translation anymore, uh, which makes it hard, yeah, to use them in in your own language. Yeah. yeah. But it could also make it make it easier to understand because you have to use simpler words or explain oh, the concepts exactly. more. Um, when we discussed this uh, podcast a few weeks ago, you you told me th about these propositions that you did done in your PhD, which I thought was very interesting. And one of them was about communication of science. Yeah. So I, I have it here. I'm going to read it. So uh, it says, communication of results to the broader public should be top priority of any scientist. So what is this? <laughs> yeah, so in the Netherlands, if you do a PhD, um, part of that PhD is a list of propositions. So they are statements that should be uh, based on science and should be debatable. So they, sh uh, they, should, they, should be, um, they should be written in such a way that you can, can debate about it because they are part of your defense and um, opponents can ask you, um, one of your, your helpers. They're called paronyms, so you have two helpers in the Dutch system mm -hmm. that then will read um, this proposition like you just now did. Uh, and then there can be a discussion about that proposition. Mm. Um, and the reason why I wrote that proposition is very similar to things we discussed actually earlier, is that um, a lot of scientists have uh, communication to a wider audience as one of the lowest um, priorities in their, in their list. Well, I think it should be one of the highest ones because in the end, why are we doing science? It's because of, well, we want to, um, at least, well, maybe I can't say we, but at least for me, why am I doing science? I'm doing science because I'm um, interested in how, how the world works. And then if I find out a little bit more about how the world works, I want to share that with everybody. So everybody knows a little bit more about how the world works. Um, and I think a lot of scientists think in that way, but the sharing stops at the scientific publication. Uh, which only a few experts read, and then there is new knowledge, but it's not necessarily general knowledge. Um, so that's why I wrote this proposition. And one of the other reasons is that in a lot of university systems, uh, if you want to get higher up in the hierarchy to become an assistant professor or associate professor, you have all kinds of committees checking your work. And what do they check? They check your publications. They check how many grants you've uh, re uh, um, uh, gotten. So how much uh, money? They, you yeah, exactly. Yeah. How much? Yeah, sorry. So how much money you kind of brought in in terms of external projects? They look at how many PhD students you you uh, supervised, maybe, uh, and and that's about it. Um, and then uh, the, it, it depends, of course, a lot on systems. Uh, but luckily, uh, there's a, I see a slight shift towards. Um, yeah, communication towards the general public becoming a larger part of applications. Um, although it really depends still on which application you're looking at or, or which university you're looking at. Um, yeah, but the fact that you have been on radio, like you just said, as an expert, mm. uh, might not count for anything in quite a lot of systems. No. But I think if we look at the value of of a scientist, I think that should actually be quite an important yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's like how we measure our, yeah, how we exceed in our career or how we measure success or whatever you want to say as a scientist. And if we miss that part, it, it's, a, it's a shame mm -hmm. if, if we don't measure that or take it into account. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a good thing was that when our department, so I think it was last year, our department got an external review committee that, de that uh, determined how well we were doing as a department. And it was actually one of their recommendations or or kind of negative points about the department was that we didn't have any social media accounts. So, well, luckily we now have them. Um, but that also, so, but that also shows that this committee was 
uh, I think one of the issues was outreach. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, these things are changing. But of course, as everything, change goes slowly. Mm. Um, but yeah. 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 And it is, I mean, it's about time for many researchers, of course. I mean, how will you have the time to also communicate? I mean, or mm. that is like what I'm hearing, at least, that... Yeah. Many people want to do it, but maybe they don't know really how and they don't feel that they have the time to do it because they have to apply for more money <laughs> to be able to, of course, mm. to continue their work. No, so exactly. Yeah, so that's about this prioritization. I yeah. mean, if it's your top priority, then you should make time to do Ex it. Yeah. If it's the lowest priority, yeah, then, then there will never be time for it because other things will take yeah. up. And time. maybe, as you say, like it should be like awarded or, I mean, mm -hmm. like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if it would be more awarded, yeah. if you would have a higher chance of getting money, mm. if you had done more uh, outreach, yeah. then it would be that would be an easy way of getting it higher on the priority. Yeah, absolutely. People. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we discussed. Uh, it's been discussed like this too with teaching that it's also like a, a bit under prioritized or yeah. seen um, task for a scientist mm. we, because most of us do some kind of teaching. Um, for at the university level mm. and sometimes it's also not seen or progressing your career or you got, don't get money for it or yeah you know it's harder than doing like writing papers publishing things yeah no teaching is in that sense in the same block where mm. where it's relatively undervalued well it's actually one of the most important tasks of universities yeah so it's a there's a mismatch there as well um, yeah, but yeah, there's many things that could definitely be improved. Uh, like with everything. <laughs> <definitely>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We also have citizen science as a, a part of this topic. So I thought we could scoot over into that, uh, which is like one, I guess you can say it's one example, or one way of doing scientific outreach. Do you agree? Yeah, I would actually say that scientific outreach is one part of citizen science. But yeah, that's uh, <laughs> true as well. <laughs> you definitely need uh, outreach. I mean, citizen science is a. It is, you could definitely see it as a way of, of outreach as well, or, or scientific communication. Um, or as a me, combination yeah. of science and outreach. Oh. Involvement, I would say. Like, yeah. people are involved. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They're not being, you know, informed. No, like they are creating yeah. the knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're part of it. Yeah. So my uh, my favorite definition of citizen science is any any type of uh, research where non professional participants are involved, um, and that can be uh, in terms of collecting data. That can be in terms of uh, generating hypotheses. That can be in terms of analyzing data, um, and that can be in all kinds of levels. So it could be. An, an amateur expert on some kind of uh, insect species or ta ta taxonomist on insects that helps with identification of things uh, to uh, there's really nice examples in astronomy from uh, amateur astronomers or non-professional astronomers that are basically spending all their time looking at the stars and finding new stuff. Um, and of course, in environmental sciences where we work, the, the majority of citizen science projects is having uh, non-professionals uh, reporting sightings or, or sampling uh, water samples or these kind of things yeah. uh, that are then later analyzed or or yeah, analyzed by scientists. Yeah, so like collecting data, for example, then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, when I was a master's student, I, I got a job as a research assistant uh, for Judith Sanel at Umeå University. And... Um, at the moment, I never heard about this project and I didn't really know what it is, but she wanted me to pack a lot of envelopes with tea bags in them and send them to schools. I was like, what, what is this? But <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a really cool project called the Tea Bag Index. So they use uh, red and green tea bags uh, as uh, litter um, bags, basically. So, I mean, tea is organic material, so it will decompose if you dig it down into the soil. So they just ask people to dig them down and all over the world and then uh, weigh them before and weigh them after and see how much has been lost. Um, so they did a big school project in Sweden, which was super fun. I, I don't know how many hundreds of envelopes with tea bags I packed <laughs> for this project, but they, they have uh, like now data from all over the world. So 
it's really like very accessible and easy thing. I mean, everybody has tea bags usually. Um, so that was like my first, I think, experience being somewhat involved and also seeing like a citizen science project, which is was cool. Hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the nice advantages from a scientific perspective of citizen science is that if you involve a lot of people in a lot of places, you can get data from an enormous area which you would never be able to sa to sample with with even if you have a big team of research assistants you would not be able to sample the whole of Sweden but if you send an envelope to each school class in Sweden you get data from the whole of the country um, so that it, yeah that is definitely one uh, advantage from a scientific perspective hmm. and we also have some disadvantages I guess as well like maybe yeah I mean this, this, at the same time you have the, the that if you look at school classes, I mean, they might not be as accurate in measuring a teabag as somebody that is trained to do it. But then I, so this is maybe not the best example because it's a relatively simple protocol. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the harder the protocol becomes, the more difficult it is for people to follow it exactly. And the larger the, the variability in, in measurement error, basically, that you get. Yeah. So that's what the, the most often given um, yeah, drawback of citizen science is that your data quality might not be as high as if uh, if when somebody that is trained to take those uh, samples or measure these things uh, would do. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. And then we have this super fun project here that that you, Tim, or I don't know, what do you say, started, uh, initiated? Yeah. Or something? And Susanna is also is nice <laughs> helping with the, uh, I mean, outreach and being part of this too, so... I don't know the English name of the project, actually. So I, I would call it Meet Your Wild Neighbors. Yep. Treffa Dina Vilda Grana. Yep. Um, so yeah, so one way, uh, one thing that I work a lot with is um, is using different um, advances in technology to look at animals. And one thing I've used a lot are camera traps. So these are just digital cameras with a sensor that uh, senses um, a heat in motion or a difference in temperature that moves. So especially warm-blooded animals, if they walk in front of the camera, they will trigger it. It's a very similar sensor to the one that are in uh, that that they often use in security systems or in garden lamps that go on if you walk past. Um, so in this case, if you walk past, the camera starts taking a couple of pictures, um, and that camera it can be active for months and months in a single place. Uh, so they're used more and more in wildlife research. Uh, but the nice thing about these cameras is that you can program them in advance. And the only thing you have to do is put it on a tree or on a pole, uh, turn it on, uh, and leave it there for some time. And it will do exactly um, the same in any place. So this is something that is relatively easy to do, but it's a lot of fun because then all of a sudden you can see which animals are, are in your surroundings, uh, especially at night when you're sleeping. Um, so that's one of the of the aims of the project is to get people to put up cameras uh, in their gardens uh, to see which animals are frequenting these gardens. Um, and then at the same time, uh, educate people about the animals that are around them uh, and give them this experience of actually seeing, oh, what has been in my garden at night. Yeah, it's getting people cl even closer to the nature close to them. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and one of the hardest things there is, of course, well, is, is getting information out that the project exists uh, so people that are interested to participate can actually participate um, and then making sure that people that have participated keep uh, yeah keep part of the of the project or at least feel part of the project even after participation um, by sending them feedback about what they found or what their neighbors found or what mm -hmm. uh, what the project found yeah. Um, yeah. so how how have you guys? thought about overcoming these challenges yeah i think we're, we're doing very well because the project is really i mean a lot of people wants to participate mm. and finds it yeah they are really thrilled to see what they found in their cameras but i mean when we started up we had a startup meeting such a boring word i don't know what we called it but a startup something event event yeah exactly mm. <laughs> sounds uh, better <laughs> and we had it downtown in umeå and we made um, like a game for kids, you can say, like wild animals 
bingo or yeah. something. Yeah, exactly. So that people would take their kids and swing by on a Saturday and... So it's outside in the city No, it was or? at uh, Väben. Oh, okay. It's a culture house yeah. downtown in yeah. Umeå. So yeah. that was the start, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So that was the first group of, partici- of, of people that had heard about the project or seen about the project previously that could come and, and get their f- first camera. But at the same time, uh, we did it there so people that would just walk by could come in. And uh, uh, and we actually got quite a lot of people that just happened to be in the library because it was one of the rooms in the library. Um, and, well, saw the signs and thought, oh, this looks interesting. And, and came in, got the camera, put it up and, and had a camera in the garden for a month. Yeah, and before that, we also we had our first participant. She was, you know, like a yeah, exactly our pr- our let's our pilot, our, yeah, our, our <laughs> pilot pre participant. Yeah, because yeah. that was because uh, TV Fyra is like a TV channel here in Sweden. They wanted to make something about your project, yeah, exactly. and they wanted, of course, a participant. So then I just um, I phoned a friend and asked, you know, if they knew anyone, and then I got a name, and then I phone that person and yeah she said yes of course you can come and put a camera up in my garden and I was like okay can you also do that on tv yeah, <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> so that was our first uh, f- first participant and then you had that tv or video footage too to promote the project no it's or? not our footage because no, but it's, uh, it's yeah out there yeah yeah exactly <laughs> people see it on tv and they're like oh that sounds like a fun project yeah and then I also I I came along when you were there with uh, yep. the guy from the TV, so I could take pictures and we could write our own news also about the family, and then we could follow up afterwards, like what did they found on their cameras. So yeah, it's nice, yeah. and I think that is exactly the way to do it: to like involve people and to take it down to, to like, um, yeah, like okay, so why do you, why do you think that this? Why do you want to be part of this? And what are you hoping to find and what did you find and like it's a good idea to involve families too or aim a bit for kids i mean most kids love animals yeah uh, so that's a smart i think too too yeah and i think tim has got a really good idea about also like educating people like getting them a chance to learn more about animals yeah yeah so that's um Part of the pro- or one of the things that people often claim with citizen science is that it's a good way of educating people, uh, because uh, well you can read something in a book, but if you actually experience something, that will that will teach you far more and that will you will remember that far better. Um, so in that sense, yeah, participating in a scientific project and having an experience that you would otherwise maybe not have. Um, that that could potentially help educating, but then of course it's it's relatively hard to test that. Um, but you can, yeah, of course, there's different scientific ways of doing that. Uh, but one of the ways we're trying to educate people or just inform people is by having a monthly newsletter in which we uh, tell uh, which species have been found so far, and then also have like a, a one paragraph on on something that we saw on the cameras that was uh, uh, that was interesting or new. Uh, where we give a little bit of scientific background about a species or about the phenomenon. Um, so that is, uh, well, as we we started relatively recently, so it's only a couple of months now that, this, that the project has been running. Uh, but for hopefully we can continue for, for quite a long time and then um, yeah, also build up um, a, a website where there's information about animals close to people, which animals have been found. Um, what is actually the the potential conflicts with these animals? What are the consequences of having animals in your garden? Uh, but also, what are the potential benefits of having certain species in your garden? Um, so it's really ah, I'm really excited to see how this will develop. Um, and then, especially of course, at some point, if we can actually see a change in um, yeah in what people know about the animals around them. That sounds like a really great. Great ideas. So I was thinking about what you had. So you had like one round of cameras out already, or you have got the, the two, pictures back. Right? Or? Yeah. So the second round of cameras is now out, uh, and they will return the cameras uh, somewhere big uh, in one or two weeks. Yeah. 
so what what animals have people found is like the what is the most uh, surprising ones or common ones or yeah so uh, unfortunately we haven't gotten anything really cool like a moose or a bear yet but um, <laughs> but we got the, the species that we would expect like squirrels and hares um, a lot of people have seen roe deer in their garden and we actually see them on the cameras quite a bit as well uh, so they see really seem to uh, to thrive in but no, you gardens. have seen grävling, yeah, badger. Yeah, so so What's indeed, the the most exciting one was a uh, a couple of gardens where we had had badgers, yeah, uh, which we hadn't expected in the middle of the city uh, because these were gardens in the middle of the city. Um, so I that is, I would uh, never expect. <laughs> no, I have no, never exactly. seen so one in my whole life. So huh? it's no, I think <laughs> for most people living here in Umeå, where the cameras are, it's really mm-hmm. like wow. No, I never seen so they're one here either. in our gardens. No, exactly. Mm. So that was where I was building up to. But <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> that's no problem. But uh, yeah, so we had foxes and badgers in there as well. And of course, for foxes, we know there's quite a lot of stories about urban foxes in London or other places. So we know there's urban foxes, but um, actually. Ah, badgers are a bit special for me because I have been working a lot on on the family where badgers belong to. Um, And we see more and more um, animals of that family, but especially badgers now turning up in in more human-dominated or in landscapes or places where a lot of people live. Um, So it was really exciting to see that we actually have urban badgers in the middle of Umeå. Sorry, I spoiled your... No, that's perfectly fine. (laughs) It was so exciting <laughs> that uh, we had to say it before yeah. it came. Wow. <laughs> but um, so that is r- really something that I, I'm excited to follow up is, like, is see if we if we um, yeah how many badgers do we find in the city center or in in the in the really um, build up areas of Umeå? Uh When are they active? Do we actually see a difference between um, between the the let's say urban badgers and the ones in the countryside? So. Badgers normally have like a resting phase in winter where they're not that active and they stay in their dens a lot. Um, and yeah, the big question is, if a badger is living in the, in the city, does it still do that or not? There's less snow in the city, it's warmer in the city, so maybe they keep on being active more. Um, and then another thing, I mean, for badgers in most places, they are already really nocturnal, so they're active really in the middle of the night. Uh, so that's the reason why it's hard to see badgers. Um, but I've seen some badgers uh, and also badger footage from more outside of the city where they were active uh, when it was still a little bit light. Uh, so it will be really interesting to to see if badgers in the city are, are really sticking to the middle of the night while badgers outside the city are active uh, more around sunset and sunrise, for example. So these type of things are the, um, the interesting part the interesting aspects from an animal ecology perspective mm. yeah uh, i was just thinking like the we talked about the uh, communication and the outreach or people learning about these animals and then of course you have a scientific contribution or like uh, part of the project so i guess then it's about the ecology of these animals and how they're affected by by us or our uh, yeah the city or non-city aspect i guess yeah yeah so uh, of course there's different um, disciplines in science so actually the education uh, potential education part is also is uh, would also is also interesting from a scientific perspective yes. and then um, we're also looking at attitudes towards uh, all these different animals uh, of the participants uh, to see are there certain species that they like more or like less uh, which is then interesting from a yeah, more a human how do humans think about wildlife perspective more social uh, science exactly. side of it yeah and then of course there's the like let's say the hardcore natural sciences part um uh where of course most of the, uh, the people here at the department uh work with and hardcore stuff yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> for me at least that's uh i agree that's the thing that i ah i i think all of them are interesting yeah. that's maybe why we're now doing this project but um uh, yeah, but I can. You can wake me in the middle of the night to with the data set on activity patterns of badgers, and I feel really, really happy. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Not, not me. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> that's great. And we also have a master student, Lena, working on the project. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's uh, really nice that we can. Uh, yeah, that's of course also education, but yeah. from a totally different angle. Um, yeah. Um, this and project seems to have it all. Yeah, it really does. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, really interesting thing actually is that uh, we just had uh, have a another student that's now being affiliated with the project. So she is studying at uh, architect school here in Umeå. Uh, and there they have in their last year, they have to design a building and something bigger. Uh, but they may do that. They have one year to do that and they can do it on any topic that they want. Uh, and she decided by herself to do it on urban wildlife. Um, and then, uh, yeah, via via, she came into contact with us and the project. Um, so hopefully we can actually do something more on the, let's say, the city planning or, or def ah, development of a, of a house with a garden, which is really animal friendly or really not animal friendly, or where we can use the information about which animals people like to see in their garden or not, uh, to see if can we design a garden that could attract certain species that people like, but not attract the people the species that people don't like. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if this exists, but those are the kind of the crazy creative ideas that might come out of that yeah. part. So, yeah. No, I think cities, uh, planning cities to accommodate wildlife is a very uh, interesting and, and current topic now too. You know, you have these, you know, infrastructure ideas of uh, wildlife bridges and and corridors in cities and things like this. So, yeah. yeah. And actually the attacking moose is a really nice example of a conflict that is happening when moose and people are close together mm. um yeah i have no points left do you no, have anything i think we've talked about everything yeah or just feel wondering if there's anything more that uh, that is interesting from a communication in scientific or in in, in citizen science perspective um so one i guess one thing that uh, yeah that is important to say if we talk about citizen science is that um that it is, you really need to spend quite a lot of time, like we did, on trying to reach out to people, find participants, keep them involved. Um, so uh, some people see citizen science as an as a quick and easy way of getting data, uh, but uh, I think if you want to do it properly, it's definitely not a quick and easy way. Um, so ah. Uh, there are certain things you can only do with citizen science, like for example, the TBEC uh, index uh, project. Um, and But there are also projects where, where actually not doing it with citizens might be, or just doing it as a scientific project might be the, the, the best way of doing things. Uh, but I think it really depends also on, on the mindset of what you wanna, um, kind of what, what is the, your aim with a certain project. Um, I mean, you said best, and I think maybe from then a purely like um, method scientific point of view, but if you then mm. do uh, include citizens, you also add a lot of other things, which I Not guess you're exactly. alluding to now. Yeah. Yeah. I think Not it's about exactly. building relationships. I yeah. mean, if you involve a lot of people, then you have to have someone that is able to answer questions and you have, yeah, I mean, give feedback and make people feel included. Mm. And for some people, it's okay to get a newsletter, but some people, they might wanna, I don't know, phone someone and tell them about what they've seen. Mm. You know, people are very different. Yeah. So I think if the project grows, then. Yeah, no, we, yeah, definitely. So I already got some phone calls of people that yeah. uh, were saying, oh, but I had this road deer in my garden and they yeah. were behaving in this way. And yeah, people want to share. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's and, and so that is for me a really valuable um, reason to do citizen science is to, uh, I mean, from, a, let's say from the, if, if I look from a scientist, um, well, I shouldn't say down, outward, um, then for me, I want to educate people. I want to give people experiences. Uh, I want people to, to feel included in, in science. I want to show that scientists are not people that sit in an ivory tower. Mm. I want to show that scientists are not people that are walking around in a lab coat. Mm. I want to show that scientists are not only bold, old, white guys with a big <laughs> beard. Um, but at the same time, I also... Uh, see that there's a lot of knowledge, there's a lot of interest, there's a lot of curiosity in everybody. Um, so, and, and I think that is actually the hardest thing because we don't really have scientific methods for doing that. But um, 
how do you get all that information, all that knowledge that is out there, let's say the knowledge of the crowd, um, and all the questions that people have, how do we get those kind of back to to scientists, so in the other direction? That is like the best question, because I think that when we think about scientific outreach, it's always like, okay, what do we want to inform people about? But this is more like, what questions do they have, and can we do science mm -hmm. from that? So it's like value in their, their knowledge. It's not the same knowledge as the scientists have, but it, it is something yeah. else. And people it is are experts, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are. And to use, use them or use it yeah, together. Yeah, or let them contribute. I yes. mean, let them... They are valuable, so let them like be that also. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, of course, every people, every person is the best expert about what happens in their garden, for yeah. example. And I will never get that amount of knowledge on each single garden. Uh, but then I see my task to kind yeah, of look yeah. at the average of all the gardens mm. uh, and tell something about that. Yeah, um, and I mean, you cannot, I mean, if the project grows and you have like hundreds and hundreds of participants, mm -hmm. you cannot be the one answering the calls from people who no. want to share what's happening in their garden. I mean, even though that is might be the most fun part mm -hmm. of the job, but it's impossible. No, no, so, exactly, yeah, no. you have to have like a but structure you, you for... Can, like use their questions or to then frame or... Yeah, you like have to find the, some the way that people then still so that it's yeah. as most valuable for them. Like exactly, they still have to feel involved, but you know, with you have to like limit the the time effort in. Mm. I don't know how to do it, but so actually, a really interesting thing in this perspective is that in the Netherlands they did it a couple of years ago. So the ne the Dutch Science Foundation, they had this pro uh, they have this program which is called the National Science Agenda where they asked every anybody could go to the website and type in questions that they had. And then they just went through all these questions and put them into, uh, yeah, uh, how do you call it? Let's say boxes <laughs> with certain topics. Um, and now they uh, they said, well, we have this much amount available for, um, for research that is answering questions that are in these different boxes. Mm -hmm. um, so they actually, nice. there they try to, to do something uh, with this, um, but that's just started, so it's really interesting in a couple of years to see what is actually coming out of that. Mm. And I think that's really nice example. I mean, um, in Sweden we have some uh, national funders that already uh, are more towards the, um, let's say, the contribution of science to society side. Um, but they're not there, and they're using certain things like the global sustainability goals, for example. Every project should be affiliated with at least one of those. Um, yeah, but that's yeah. So that's one step in that direction, but not yet there where we actually ask people mm. um, what is interesting. And of course, not all science should no. answer what do people think is no. interesting. But mm. um, I think there's definitely room there for uh, improvement. Yeah, and I mean, I think that you can develop your own. I don't know the way you make your research questions. I mean, it's always good with input. I mean. You yeah. use it in different ways, of course. Yeah. So my, I don't know, my dream would be to have some kind of platform or system where people can actually contribute to all parts of the scientific process. So not only data collection, but also analysis of data, um, de um, making uh, conclusions from results or analyses, uh, then generating hypotheses. And uh, I think there's... I mean, you need a, a lit. Uh, of course, that's what we do at universities. We educate people to do these different steps. Um, so it might not you might not be able to to include everybody in every aspect, uh, but I think there's definitely room there for opening up science even more. Um, and I think that's the yeah, the nice thing about citizen science and about involving yeah people in in a research project. No, yeah, it makes it feel as foreign. I think many people think that science is something very far away and and very inaccessible and it's very hard or very difficult. And if you do these kinds of things, you really open up the stage and it's like, this is how we do and maybe you can help here and there and or it really opens up the discussion of what, what is science and what do we actually do. And um, yeah, I think it's very important. Because, I mean, we 
the idea is not to sit in our offices, as you said, and <laughs> do cool things that nobody knows about. <laughs> I'm very very happy you came here and joined this discussion. I think it was super fun. Yeah, yeah, it was. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And um, uh, we touched a bit about the stereotype of the um, the old <laughs> lab coat um, kind of scientist, and we discussed that a lot in the in the episode about uh, soapbox science and women in science. So, people are interested. We talk about that a lot. Um, otherwise, I would just like to thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you for inviting us. Thank yeah. you. And uh, bye. Bye. Bye-bye.